Hi and welcome to the Balanced Emotions Podcast with your hosts Dougie Scott and James Allison talking all things mental, physical, emotional and spiritual health. Podcast. Hello and welcome to the next uh, episode of the Balanced Emotions Podcast with myself, Dougie Scott and James Allison. We are pleased to welcome today our guest, Nick Coetzee, who is the owner and founder of Mychondria, and he is a light guru and a health coach. So welcome, Nick. Really happy to have you here. Yeah, thanks. Really excited to be on here. And um, yeah, I've been following your content for a while, and uh, I think we resonate on quite a few different topics. So yeah, really excited to, to chat a bit more about light today. Yeah, definitely. I've, I've learned a lot um, from yourself. And I absolutely love your products from, from Mychondria. I use it daily. It's in my daily routine and I felt absolutely amazing uh, benefits. So I've had this now, must be close to six months. And yeah, it's, it's fantastic. I couldn't, I couldn't recommend it enough to people. I'm still a receive my discounted one. <laughs> <laughs> it's fantastic, fantastic. So Nick, just as we get started, um, just tell us a bit about yourself and a bit about uh, Mychondria in general. Yeah, so I got into, I mean, I would, some people call holistic health or biohacking. Um, basically, I just realized that there was more to health than just focusing on diet and exercise. And um, I originally was uh, like a physical therapist, and that's how I started, you know, training a lot of my clients. Um, and what I realized quite early on is that, you know, most people are focusing on may maybe diet. And, you know, there's, there's the paleo diet, there's the vegan diet, there's ketogenic, there's all these different variations. And, you know, most of them are getting them about 80% right, you know, in terms yeah. of that area of your health, you know, provided you're cutting out your processed foods and things like that. Um, exercise, most people know you should exercise, you know, four or five times a week. Um, there's different variations of exercise, as I'm sure you know. But when it comes to light, I very early on realized it's just one of those areas that we, we aren't paying attention to. You know, at the end of the day, the, the kind of the compass for health most people seem to use is to apply like an ancestral approach or like, how do we get closer to nature, basically? And with diet, people go, okay, how do we eat, you know, the food that maybe my ancestors ate or my genes are basically evolved yeah. um, to, to metabolize. And in all these different areas, people are paying a really healthy amount of attention to these, you know, trying to figure out what the best diet or exercise program is for them. When it comes to light, it's just one of those areas that we are so far gone from nature and people don't realize it because there's not enough people talking about it. So I realized, you know, by focusing on this area of my health, A, it, it led to, you know, much uh, better improvements in my health and my performance. But it also meant that I could basically take it a little bit more easy on maybe my diet or, you know, not having to exercise as much because I was including this other factor. You know, when you start paying attention to your light environment and you go from, you know, not doing anything to try and control it and even if you get, you know, the first 50 to 70% of it right, you know, you start blocking blue light at night or something like we'll discuss a bit further on, yeah. you can see such profound effects because it's just one of those areas of your health where, you know, you get such a big bang for your buck. So with a lot of my clients, this started out as I was researching more and more about um, light and how it affects our health. And I realized with my clients, it was one of the areas where I would get the quickest results um, because it was just something that they weren't looking at before. So from there, I, I looked into uh, Blue Blocker Glasses. Um, that was my first company I started. Um, and then in 2017, I started, I think it's 2017, 2018, beginning of 2018, I believe, started Mychondria, which was the red light therapy company. And that's also, yeah, just blown up basically 
teaching people about the powers of red and near infrared light and the amount of benefits you can get um, from exposing yourself. You know, we also, we focus on educating people. So we also speak a lot about the benefits of natural sunlight. Yeah. Um, but in the same token, you know, we also need to appreciate that we can't live the same lifestyle as our ancestors did. You know, we would ideally love to be outside and getting fresh air and sunlight, you know, all day. But most of us work busy jobs. So that's exactly what mitochondria and red light therapy kind of where it comes into the picture is, you know, how can we supplement your light environment and bring you, you know, one step closer to nature while you can still maintain a normal lifestyle. You don't have to go and live in a cave and hunt your own animals, and all those kind of things um, these days. Yeah. I would love to do that. I'd love to go primal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, <it's>, yeah. <laughs> a little cabin in the woods would do me. You were talking about natural sunlight there, and like it's like most people go out and they've got so much clothes on, and all that the all that the the bit the bit of bare skin that's left is that is their face, you know, and and they just they wonder why they're not getting the rays, and it's like you know you need to have some you need to have some clothes off, guys. You need to you know I know it's hard to do in the winter, but yeah, a lot of people get clothes up and go out in the sun, and it's really no doing them a benefit or as much benefit as it should. Absolutely, James. And you know, it's one of the things when I started my blue blocker glasses company, I realized just logically, we are so far away from nature because here I was starting a company where I had to do so much education in order to teach people why the light from their laptops and their cell phones was bad for them. And it's so hard. It was, you know, there's this, this gap that I had to bridge going, teaching people why you need glasses to put on, you know, to protect your eyes from uh, like the screens and that kind of thing. But someone selling fashionable sunglasses to go wear out when there's natural sunlight, <laughs> it's a breeze for them. It's, it, you yeah. know, people don't think twice about it. Oh, I'll just put a glasses yeah. on. You know, I can't get too much sunlight in my eyes. But people don't understand that there's, there's damaging effects to your cell phones and screens and stuff like that, which are, you know, such a new concept to us. Um, it, it just, you know, there is such a big gap between nature and what we logically should be doing for our health. Um, as you said, even with, with clothes, sunscreen, even, you know, people are lathering on sunscreen and they're not thinking, okay, but I'm sitting in, indoors all day and getting artificial light. Isn't that probably less natural? I mean, not saying yes. put sunscreen inside. Yes. Um, I don't think it's normally not a good idea anyway. But um, inside, I mean, it, it just, you know, people don't think about it that way. And there is just that big education gap, uh, which is one yes. of the biggest hurdles we have at Mitochondria is before we can, uh, you know, give anyone a product, there's a big gap to bridge on, on health and light. Big time, yeah, totally agree. Yeah. I think a lot of it comes down to disconnect from nature completely, completely disconnect. Um, yeah, fantastic. So could you just run through some of the benefits of the, the red and near infrared? As I can say, I can I can be, uh, I can vouch for this because I feel absolutely amazing using my red light. Although I do try and get out at sunrise as much as possible. I don't know if you've seen my sunrise club that I do in the morning. Um, that's me just practicing what I preach. That's simple as that. I always say, try and bioharmonize with nature before we biohack with technology. Obviously, if we can't do that because we're working at these times, sunrise and things, in your red light therapy, that's where it comes in. So yeah, if you can just yeah tell tell our listeners a little bit about uh, the benefits of the red light therapy and near infrared. Yeah, so I'll, I'll I'll give some some of the specific benefits, but I think what's really important for people to understand is kind of the mechanism, just on a base level behind them because it's got such a fundamental uh, way of interacting with your physiology that it'll explain why you get these like wide range of benefits. So when you look at sunlight at any given moment, you know, whether it's the, the sunrise or whether it's the middle of the day, whether you're on the equator, whether you're up in Norway, uh, you know, summer, winter, at least 42% of the, the um, light coming from the sun 
is going to be made up of red and near infrared light. So other, other frequencies of light like ultraviolet, those can vary across the day, all season, all location. I mean, if you're in winter in the UK or even up where you guys are, you know, you'll go for months during winter where you won't have any um, ultraviolet B light um, because those are the shorter wavelengths of light and they can vary across all those different factors. But because red and near-infrared light was such a dominant frequency of light, or it has always been a dominant frequency of light from the sun, our cells are very fine-tuned to use that type of light in order to make energy. So I'm sure most of your listeners have heard of the mitochondria. So the mitochondria is basically the powerhouse within each and every one of your cells. And what basically happens is when very specific frequencies of red and near-infrared light hit the mitochondria, it basically spins a turbine in order for that um, cell to generate more energy. So the example we use to explain it is often, if you think of like a hydro station where there's flowing water and that spins a turbine in order to generate electricity, it's very similar to what happens in your mitochondria is that the red and near infrared light literally spins a turbine and that helps to generate more energy. So the fundamental mechanism of more energy in whatever cell that is, you know, whether it's a skin cell, muscle cell, liver cell, if that cell has more energy, it's going to be able to perform its specific function uh, yeah. better. And what, what basically happens is, you know, whether you're targeting that at your skin or whether you're targeting at a muscle or, you know, a, even at your, your gut can have um, specific kind of benefits. We get, you know, and this is all peer reviewed kind of, uh, or peer reviewed um, articles, like there's thousands of articles on red light therapy now, but you can see a wide range of benefits. It's from, you know, improved skin complexion, uh, decreased inflammation, improved muscle endurance, improved muscle recovery, uh, improved hair growth. Um, you know, it helps with uh, scarring. There really is just such a long list of benefits. And it's really good if someone wants to do, you know, a bit of their own research, go into a scientific database, something like PubMed, and just type in red light therapy and, and then insert the benefit that you're after. And you're almost guaranteed to find that there's going to be some kind of uh, benefit to it. And I used to always lead and just, you know, when people ask that question, I would just say, yeah, here's 10 different benefits. And that, when people hear that, they go, mm, that sounds a little bit too good to be true. It yeah. sounds like the coconut, coconut oil of light. Yeah. Um, and then <laughs> when you understand the fundamental mechanism and also why we are so deprived of that type of light, I'll get into that now. But when you understand those two um, factors, then you begin to see why there is you know, that wide range of benefits that shows up um, in the clinical research. So what's basically happened, you know, it's really awesome that you guys are getting outside and going to get uh, you know, the Sunrise Club and getting that type of light but you guys are definitely in the minority. Most people aren't getting outside nearly enough. And what's basically happened is with artificial lighting, they design indoor lighting for one specific purpose and that's for vision. So they, they basically want to figure out what type of light can we use that uses the least amount of electricity, but gives us the best vision. And in doing, doing that, they've cut out the spectrum of light that isn't necessarily good for um, vision. It uses the most electricity since it's, it's got, uh, you know, it's on the red near infrared side. And what you find is most indoor lighting has very high concentrations of the shorter wavelengths of light, like blue light, but very little of the red and or even zero in most cases, red and near infrared light. So we're basically starved of the most essential type of light that you should be getting from the sun. We've gone, we're getting hyper exposed to things like blue light. You know, blue light in the right dose can be really healthy. You should get a little bit of blue light, especially in the mornings. But when it comes to indoor lighting, we're basically you know, it's almost like if someone believes that they should be following a low carbohydrate diet, you would be, you know, going high in your protein and your fat, call yeah. that red and near infrared light. We're basically cutting out fat, we're cutting out protein, and we're just saying to someone, just eat sugar. Like yeah. sugar and carbohydrates, maybe in a low dose, can be healthy, similar to blue light, 
but with yeah. indoor lighting we're literally just starving ourselves of this essential essential type of light energy that we need so you know we see such profound effects when we do studies on people especially people who've been living indoors and work office jobs there are such profound effects but i always say that if i had to try and take you know mitochondria's red light therapy devices to the hudson tribe or something in south africa or in africa sorry they they would have no need for it people who are spending outside yeah. uh, time outside wouldn't need our devices but most of us living indoors just have such a, a low exposure to this red and yeah. near infrared light that it's why we see such you know profound effects in all the clinical um, research uh, when people start using uh, red light therapy brilliant yeah yeah well, I mean, so, no, hence, so hence no obesity in these uh, indigenous uh, places <laughs> yeah sorry james what was that I'm saying that hence there's no obesity in these indigenous places, you know, these yeah. tribes. Yeah, of course. I mean, there's, there's many factors to that. I mean, we're so far gone and <laughs> we're so disconnected from nature and many factors, but absolutely. I mean, light is, is one of them. Um, I mean, not necessarily red and near infrared light, but I was looking at some, some research this morning, actually very old research that people just seem to forget, but sunlight helps you to digest carbohydrates. It helps, it acts almost like um, insulin does. And yeah. that obviously comes back to nature when you were exposed to the most sunlight that would also mean when the plants are exposed to the most sunlight therefore they'd be able to bear the most fruit they'd be the most carbohydrates in your environment and this is where you start looking at the circadian approach of light and why you should be sharing the same light environment as your food um, and you look at you know so if your environment has a lot more sunlight out and the plants around you are able to produce more carbohydrates if you're getting outside you're going to be able to digest those carbohydrates and most of us have this big mismatch now because you can get imported food and you know you can eat fruit year round. In middle of winter, yes. it can be ice cold, yet people are eating fruit. You know, there's little wonder why we have issues like um, diabetes and you know this insulin um, sensitivity issues is because our, our body exposure through light and what our what our light environment is telling our brain is very different to the food that we're we're putting in our mouths. Yes, definitely. Dougie brought up to me the other day there bananas in the winter, didn't you, Dougie? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. But we'll touch on that. We'll touch on that in a little bit. A little bit later. Um, yeah, I just want to want to talk about the artificial light at night. So this is the damaging light at night. These spikes that we're having that's playing havoc on our circadian rhythm. Now you go by the Circadian Warrior on your uh, Instagram, and you have the Facebook group, the Circadian Warrior. So you can just touch a little bit on circadian rhythm and why you started the group and um, things like that, Nick, please. Yeah, so um, a circadian rhythm is basically any uh, process that happens within your body that follows roughly a 24-hour cycle. So it could be things like your sleep-wake cycle. It could be the way that your body releases certain hormones, melatonin, uh, cortisol. It could be testosterone. There's basically, it's like a set of traffic lights where your body has certain lanes that it lets through so it'll have certain processes that are meant to happen at certain times a day certain times a day maybe you know digestion will be optimized certain times a day uh, muscle repair building up new uh, muscle tissue will be optimized and your circadian rhythm is basically in charge of making sure that everything happens at the right time of day um, and what happens is if your circadian rhythm is off then you start finding you know you're not digesting food properly or you're not getting proper sleep or you're feeling tired during the day and that almost always comes down to someone having a poorly matched um, circadian rhythm. So there's a few different factors that can influence your circadian rhythm. Your body basically uses external cues in order to tell your cells what time of day it is. Um, but the most important one, so there's things like 
Uh, meal timing is, is a um, factor for telling your body what time of day it is. So is your body temperature. But the most important um, time giver, also known as uh, Zeitgeber, which is German for the word uh, time giver, is light. So as soon as light goes through your eye, there's a part um, of your brain just behind your eye called your SCN or suprachiasmatic nucleus. nucleus. Um, and this is basically the master regulator of your circadian rhythm. So what should happen or what would have happened in nature is when you go outside in the morning and you know, you're doing your sunrise club and you get, you get to see the sunrise, you will get some blue light entering through your eyes and that'll basically kickstart your circadian rhythm um, through your master clock. And it will tell your body to start releasing some cortisol um, in order to make you feel awake and alert. And then it'll also suppress melatonin, which is your sleep hormone that you should be um, only releasing at nighttime. So that's what would happen normally in nature um, before the invention of artificial lighting. The biggest problem that comes in now is that at nighttime, we're basically able to replicate these signals through things like our cell phones, laptops, you know, any artificial lighting above um, your head. As I mentioned earlier, they have very high concentrations of blue light. So what ends up happening is, you know, in the evening when you should be winding down and getting ready for bed, you're basically able to re-stimulate that signal and say to your brain, it's morning time. And as a result, when you should be, excuse me, releasing melatonin in order to help get ready for sleep, your body is now um, suppressing it and increasing cortisol. So that's why you will struggle with sleep at night is because you've basically told your brain that it is uh, the middle of the morning or even middle of the day, um, depending on the intensity of the light that you're using. Um, so that's where people start having you know, big issues with sleep. I mean, sleep is probably one of the most fundamental um, processes that you should, I mean, it's like the elixir of your health. You know, there's yeah, no, there's no, we don't actually, there's no kind of benefit that you can actually say, you know, isn't affected by sleep. When they do studies and they deprive people of sleep, everything goes highway, haywire. You know, your energy levels are going to be messed up. Your inflammation levels are going to be higher. Your insulin sensitivity is um, going to be completely off. And that literally, you know, if we say, okay, red light therapy or blue blocker glasses helps to improve your sleep. I don't know if we even need to discuss any benefits after that. Like that is literally <laughs> the, the elixir of both. Whatever your problem is, you know, if you can fix your sleep, or improve your sleep, it's just gonna have such a profound effect. So yeah, just to answer your question, we're basically able to now replicate the wrong kind of signals using artificial lighting. Um, and most people aren't, aren't aware of, you know, the type of light that they're exposing themselves to at night. Um, and just, again, it comes back to that thing of with some really small changes, be that blue blocker glasses, be that swapping out, you know, because you know what type of lights to use at nighttime. Those can be such small changes to your lifestyle that can have drastically uh, profound effects. I mean, you mentioned the Circadian Warriors Facebook group that we started. So that was actually started that when we had um, the blue blocker glasses originally. Right. And that group is entirely dedicated to, you know, speaking about these different processes that are, you know, follow a circadian rhythm and different ways that you can optimize it um, or protect yourself, you know, from a damaged circadian rhythm, be that through light, be that through meal timing or exercise, you know, how do we basically optimize our um, rhythms so that right. our body optimizes specific times of day for specific functions. So you feel the most awake, you feel the most alert and happy during the day. And at nighttime, you're sleepy where you're not, you know, waking up in the middle of the night because, you know, like wide awake. And during the daytime, you're not feeling uh, tired. Brilliant. Yeah, the, the Circadian Warriors group, it's got fantastic uh, information that gets shared in there. And you touched on it there with the circadian health. When your circadian rhythm's out, you know, if your cortisol is high, why do people why are people uh, seems like everybody that now is suffering with a lot of anxiety you know this is going to this is going to push this further if you're if you're constantly putting that signal into your SEN 
that it is, you know, midday and your, your body's taking up that challenge and pushing uh, cortisol, either wonder we're all, uh, we're all anxious and stuff. And myself and James, we were just talking about that uh, off air there about um, circadian disruption and mental health. Yes, yes, it just does. I run a few suicide uh, men's men's mental health clubs uh, based on suicide, and the new research from Stanford were saying that the circadian dysfunction is now one of the number one thing that that is leading in, in to do with most suicides. Uh, and uh, ironically, most Western doctors know very little about it. So when these guys are going for help or their mum and dad have issues about the, their, their sons and daughters no sleeping, you know, on tablets, on antidepressants and stuff like that, nobody's actually focusing on the actual environment that person's in. The actual behaviour that he's, that, that he's following, that, that on his phone all night, sleeping all day, you know, the melatonin doesn't know for the serotonin, the night doesn't know for the day, you know, and nobody's actually tracking that. So they're not going to the doctors and sitting saying, oh, he's not sleeping properly, he's blah, blah, blah. They're just saying, I can't sleep, doctor. And just like you said, Nick, if you're producing cortisol before you go to sleep, then anxiety of, you know, ruminating all these things that your future self is going to, you know, worrying about. And then you go from one loop from anxiety to depression, it just goes around in a big circle. So it's, it's massive. That's massive. There's a talking about mental mental health as well. There's a study I saw very recently where they've got the same approach you're saying now. They've just discovered <laughs> that there's a link between <laughs> between <laughs> between your circadian rhythm and um, Alzheimer's. So Alzheimer's is obviously an, an issue where your brain starts um, kind of atrophying. <coughs> and one of the things they've always noticed is people with Alzheimer's tend to have very poor um, sleeping patterns. And it's similar to what you're saying now. People, you know, people don't think that maybe this bad sleeping can lead to the Alzheimer's. They just thought previously there was one cause, you know, because you got Alzheimer's, now you get bad sleeping habits. Yeah. Um, and there's a specific protein that they managed to um, isolate and find that it was actually very strongly correlated with if this protein wasn't firing or, or um, translating properly, then that often led to um, Alzheimer's. And this protein has a very strong circadian rhythm. And um, basically what happens is when you go to sleep at night, one of the, one of the um, key uh, components or one of the key um, processes that happens during sleep is your brain kind of washes out. Um, so your cerebrospinal fluid will flush through your brain at nighttime. And that basically clears out all the metabolites that happen um, during the day, as you know, all these different cellular processes are happening within your brain. So a very key marker of Alzheimer's is this buildup of um, amyloid plaque. And that often is because the brain's not washing out properly at night. Mm -hmm. And I mean, the study I looked at, it's, it's so interesting. You've got to look at studies sometimes and just, you know, they get such great results. And then you look at the conclusion they get at the end and you just like put your head down. <laughs> they, go, yeah. they go, okay, so a bad circadian rhythm is, you know, linked with Alzheimer's. And then the conclusion is we should look at uh, developing certain medications in order to fix the circadian rhythm um, in order to help Alzheimer's patients. No one, you know, no one is going, we should educate people about their circadian rhythm and maybe, you know, why artificial light at night is not a good idea in order to prevent this. You know, there's always just like all of this information, let's develop a pill or a tablet oh. in order to fix the yeah. problem. Oh, Western medicine, eh, Dougie? We're always talking about that. Yeah, like, believe, that. It or not, believe, it, believe it or not, like, this was a dementia uh, 
stadium, is it? Research. It's dementia. I said it's a dementia research. This is where they found this information from. They were doing an, you know, how the mitochondria affects aging also, uh, with the cognitive uh, brain slowing. Obviously, you see with the cell, the, the glia cells changing in the brain, and obviously the physical decline of muscle using muscle, uh, the 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 in the in the actual muscle as well is bringing it all together because as people get older, they don't build up muscle, they lose muscle and they forget how much the, the mitochondria uh, is working and, and that how it, important that is for to keep, you know, healthy as you age type thing. All mitochondrial health. Aye, this was a dementia study, so crazy lads, honestly. So mitochondria <coughs> is such an underlooked aspect of health. Um, and it's, you know, that example, I mean, the thing I spoke about earlier is that, you know, if a cell has more energy, it can perform its function better. Um, one of the metaphors we always use is if you thought of all the different types of cells in your body as different workers. So if you had an engineer or an athlete or, uh, you know, a doctor and you gave each of them more energy, they'd be able to perform their specific functions better, whatever it is. So again, you know, you could have the best doctor in the world, but if he hasn't slept for three, four days, he's probably going to make some bad decisions regarding, you know, health or, you know, helping one of his patients. So whatever cell that is, if your cell's not getting, it, if it doesn't have a strong mitochondrial health, uh, that cell is bound to to fall apart. Definitely. Definitely. Right, so we're going to move on a little bit here, and I would like to chat about, I've seen that you've been doing the carnivore diet. Yes. Yes. And it's something that I take my clients through. We do a metabolic typing, um, and... Myself, personally, I'm a polar type, which is predominantly protein and fats that I should be eating. So it's really it's really interesting to see how you, how you got on with the carnivore diet. It's something that has intrigued me. And me, personally, I try my best to eat as local as possible, seasonal, organic, and form a metabolic type. So, yeah, if you can just tell us a little bit how, how, you, how you got on with the carnivore diet. Yeah, so, I mean, if you look at, like, into our circadian warriors group, circadian, whenever you follow a circadian approach or eating seasonally, inevitably you find that people start eating a lot more meat. So in winter months, and this, you've also got to find a balance here because I spoke a bit earlier about how, you know, you've got to match the food that you eat with your life environment. That is definitely true. But you've also got to take into account that you're, you're possibly not living in the same region as where your ancestors are from. So that's where that metabolic typing becomes yeah. extremely important. I've never done any kind of uh, metabolic typing test but I've done genetic testing through a company called 23andMe. And I was, I'm 92% Northwestern European. So my ancestors definitely would have had, you know, very cold winters and they wouldn't have a lot of plant matter available to eat, no fruits yeah. and things like that, because there wasn't much light. It would have been, you know, we would have been forced to have eaten a, or rely a lot on um, animal meat as a food source. So that's where, you know, I try and I try and do the carnivore diet on a seasonal approach. So I normally just do it in uh, winter months when I'm not getting a lot of um, you know ultraviolet light exposure. Yeah. Um, the light cycles are shorter, and there's a lot of cold in my environment. Then I will eat primarily uh, a meat-based diet. In summer, I will sometimes you know well, I will normally include you know a couple of maybe a bit of fruit, maybe a little bit of honey. Um, but you know for my kind of uh, gene type, it doesn't really make sense for me to go high carbohydrate. Maybe someone who's done some kind of genetic testing, or you could even just go based on your skin color. A darker complexion does normally indicate that you're more from the um, equator. Then yeah. you can probably handle a bit more carbohydrates. But then again, 
are you getting outside enough? That's a, a big issue. You know, most people with darker skin complexions, they need to get a lot more sunlight exposure yeah. in order to produce the same amount of vitamin D as any of the three of us on this call um, yeah, can get away with not getting too much UVB light exposure, but generating a high amount um, of uh, vitamin D. And vitamin D is extremely important for helping you to metabolize carbohydrates. So it's very funny that you mentioned this now. There's actually a very prominent guy in the carnivore space um, who I saw was doing an interview this morning. And uh, well, he didn't do it this morning. I saw it this morning. And they were having a discussion about carbohydrates. And they were saying how the healthy way to earn your carbohydrates is to only if you've done extreme intense forms of exercise, then you can have carbohydrates. And I just think about this and I'm like, how do you logically think that that makes sense? What do you think our ancestors were sprinting after apples uh, and oranges? And then they just a whole bunch of carbohydrates. I mean, I studied, I did a, a BSc in sports science and then um, honors in biokinetics. And I know there's research, you know, people say if you have, you know, you do intense exercise, then, you know, you're more insulin sensitive immediately after that. That doesn't, that doesn't really tell you, you know, maybe it tells you how a muscle is ready to absorb more glucose, but it doesn't tell you about op optimal health. So yeah. I'm not of the opinion that you should always be trying to earn your carbohydrates through exercise. No. I think apply a primal approach and go, well, if I'm getting outside and I'm getting a lot of ultraviolet light exposure and my vitamin D levels are going to be higher, then it makes sense. I can have some carbohydrates because I'm going to be able to uh, digest and metabolize them a lot better. Whereas if it's the middle of winter and I'm not getting outside enough, I haven't earned my carbohydrates. It doesn't matter if I sprint up and down. I mean, think of my ancestors. If they were middle of winter, no matter how many times they sprinted up and down a field, those apples weren't going to pop up because there wasn't <laughs> enough light in their environment. So exactly. um, <laughs> Whenever the carnivore, you know, we talk about the carnivore diet a lot in our group, it basically comes down to mm. it is the the base level of your nutrition when it comes to a circadian, an optimal circadian health across the seasons, because it would have always been a primary food source in your environment. If in summer months you're getting more natural light exposure, then yes, you can include you know a couple of plants that aren't necessarily going to irritate your gut. I mean. I would never eat gluten. I think there's a lot of um, carbohydrates that you probably wouldn't want to eat at um, any kind of stage. Um, I'm also, you know, there's a lot of a lot of people who say things like spinach and broccoli. They believe it's the elixir of life. You know, a lot of if you look at a lot of how our um, ancestors lived, fruit or it's not not necessarily fruit, but other plants like your spinach and kale, those kind of things, those were foods that we would only eat in famine. They were never, you know, our primary food sources. It was only if we were starving. I mean, you, you, if you're walking down, you know, uh, your garden or whatever, and you see a, a thing of spinach, that doesn't really excite you uh, that no. much. <laughs> um, and there's a reason for that. It was definitely like a last kind of resource. And a lot of these food types, you know, they don't, on, on low doses, if you're not eating a lot of them, they don't tend to cause too many health issues. But there is, you know, when people start really pounding down the kale shakes and things like that, you start to see, you know, a lot of gut issues and, you know, some kind of inflammatory conditions. Uh, pop up and a lot of people have gone from you know extreme vegan diets where they've picked up autoimmune conditions where mm. the carnivore diet tends to be almost a lot of people use it as an elimination diet because it almost guarantees to cut out you know whatever is uh you know damaging or causing some kind of effect on your body so maybe don't live in the carnivore diet it's not necessarily yeah. something you need to live by 24 7 365 days a year it's a really good idea to figure out you know your body type if you have no idea what you're doing you know, this, it's probably one of the best diets in order to reduce a uh, autoimmune condition. And from there, you can normally, you know, start introducing other food types and figuring out what works uh, based on your food type. Great. So have you, have you felt benefits from doing the carnivore diet? 
Yeah, so I originally set out to do, I wanted to see if you could put on any muscle using the carnivore right. diet. And that's what I originally set out to do. And it, I don't think that it's the best diet in order to put on muscle, but I think it is, at least in my experience, is the best diet to put on muscle and feel good at the same time. So whenever I've gone onto the carnivore diet, I've felt an immense amount of mental clarity. Uh, muscle recovery is really quick. I can feel that there's a lot of not, not a lot of inflammation in my body. Um, energy levels are good. Mood is really good. I've just overall felt uh, really good on the carnivore diet. Yeah. Um, and that's always the hard part is after I do this reset now, I almost have to I've like force feed myself to eat, you know, a little bit of carbohydrates here and there. Yeah. You normally feel that sluggishness afterwards um, when you start introducing them again. Um, but I'm not sure, you know, I'm not entirely convinced that it should be, you know, sustained forever. I think long-term ketosis might not be the best idea. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I've interviewed a guy called Sean, Dr. Sean Baker, and he's the yeah. founder of the carnivore diet. And I mean, you look at that guy, he, I think he's like 54 years old. And I mean, I wish I looked like him. He's yeah. absolutely shredded um, at the age of 54 and he just, just eats meat. <laughs> yeah. Great. So we are... Uh unfortunately running out of time now nick um i just want to ask one more question on you personally do you stop eating at a uh, night time when it gets dark i do so sorry so do you only eat in uh, daylight time yeah so very briefly basically you know we spoke earlier about uh, the zeitgebers or time givers so light being the primary one, um, when it comes to setting, you know, other clocks in your body, be that in your stomach and your liver, that is primarily done by your meal timing. So at nighttime, it's not natural for us to eat, uh, or it wouldn't have been natural for us to eat like a large meal. You would normally, you know, front load your calories to the start of the day. Yeah. So if you're eating at night outside of um, light, the one thing you're going to do is mess with the circadian clocks in your peripheral parts of your body. But you're also going to cause you know, other physiological changes that could damage your sleep. So at nighttime, your body is not actually meant to be digesting food. It should be, you know, focusing on these other processes such as, you know, um, flushing out your brain or repairing yeah. muscle. And basically what you need to do um, in order to get really good quality sleep is your core body temperature needs to decrease. So if you eat a large meal just before bed and it's sitting in your stomach, yeah. your body's got to basically break down this food and all these um, cellular processes are going to be giving off heat and as a result of that, you know, you start raising your core body temperature at the wrong time of day. And it's just another one of those factors that is going to yeah, mess with your, with your sleep quality. Great. Yeah. That's definitely something I personally need to, to, to work on slightly, but I will do that. So well, thanks a lot for uh, coming on, Nick. Um, just to end it, can you tell our listeners just where they can find you, where they can find my conjure on social media platforms and things? Yeah, so on, I mean, on Facebook or on Instagram, it's mychondria. So it's M-Y-C-H-O-N-D-R-I-A. I believe I spelled that right. Yep. Um, and then on Facebook, we've got a really cool group called Circadian Warriors. Um, on Instagram, I am circadian underscore warrior. Um, but yeah, I would suggest getting onto, you know, like the Instagram profiles is where we put out the most content. Uh, the Facebook group is really good if you've got any questions or things like that. Um, and then, yeah, the mitochondria website is where you'll find everything about uh, red light therapy. Fantastic, Nick. So thanks yeah, a lot for Nick. coming on. Um, yeah, I would really, I really appreciate you coming on again sometime and we can dive a little bit deeper. Um, but yeah, I really appreciate it. Yes, yeah, thanks, 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 thanks Nick. Perfect. Keep, thanks, on spread, keep on spreading the love. Thank yeah. you, guys. Okay, perfect. Brilliant.